morning again. Please uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, and we'll be reading from verses 1 through 10, Matthew 21. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? The Word of God says, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come uh, to Bethage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, a fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had uh, instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When they had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you that uh, we know it and... Uh, it's dear to our hearts, this triumphal entry. Father, I pray now that uh, even though it's very known to us, that we can uh, look afresh. Your Holy Spirit would uh, illumine our minds, that we can understand your word, that we can put it into practice. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, we won't just uh, check out because we know this story, but that we will look at it and see which areas of our life need to change become more like Christ and less like ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. In a certain way, countries like to show off their strength, their riches, by um, their, their prestige, by how they fly their leaders around, uh, how they fly them around. Mexico just uh, bought a brand new uh, Boeing 787 uh, Dreamliner, Beautiful, beautiful plane. I think it was uh, $250 million for this plane. Uh, Germany has an Airbus uh, uh, A340. Uh, thing is also very beautiful. It supposedly has a whole clinic on there in case anyone gets sick. They can go. They got a medical staff on there and they can uh, help you out. Uh, the USA and China and India, they all... Uh, have Boeing's uh, 747s, you know, big, monstrous plane. And, uh, you know, you, you see these planes at the airport, and they arrive, and, and there's just a prestige along with these planes uh, showing up. What we've been looking at is that Jesus has been talking about his kingdom. He's been presenting himself as the uh, the Son of Man who's going to fulfill Daniel chapter 7. They have been recognizing him as the Son of David, uh, one who will sit on the throne of David. But what he has been talking about this, this kingdom 
really is, is quite opposite to anything natural that we would see around us. In, in fact, if you've ever gotten encultured with, like, say, Disney or Exxon or any hospital, they would have a certain culture that they would present. And what Jesus presents here would be totally opposite. It wouldn't even go. Uh, he's been doing this, and, and he's been talking about uh, how his kingdom is totally opposite to anything here. In fact, if you feel something natural to do, it's probably against what uh, the kingdom of heaven is like. In fact, you have to read about what Jesus is, is talking about, and it takes a very conscious decision to act this way rather than what comes natural. What, what we're going to be looking at today is that Christians show that they are Christ's disciples when they live close to him and they obey him. That, that's what we're going to be looking at. Christians show that they are Christ's disciples when they live close to him and obey him. Uh, so the first thing that we have to see is uh, to, to be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. If we want to be, uh, live close to him, we have to be with Jesus. There's no way around it. Uh, look at verse 1. It says, when they had approached Jerusalem, uh, they're here at the Mount of Olives. Jesus is going to send, and that, that word uh, is that he is deciding to send forth. It's a conscious decision on his part to send somebody, uh, and it's specifically two disciples. Uh, that word send is uh, the verbal form of the word apostle. Apostle is somebody who is sent. Here he is sending them, and um, he's sending specifically his disciples. He could, have, he could have sent a bunch of people. We know from the request he's going to go get a donkey, and uh, we know that he's been traveling from Galilee, and he has a whole multitude of people going with him. Children, uh, adults, they're all going to Jerusalem to worship. And this request seems kind of uh, silly. I mean, why would you need a disciple why would you need somebody who you've invested these years, these three years, into their life? Well, I mean, what, what spiritual qualification is there needed to go get a donkey? They should have just been able to just ask a kid, hey, go get a donkey and bring the donkey here. But interestingly enough, Jesus decides to ask his, his disciples, and it says there in verse 2 what the request is. It says, go into the village opposite to you. So they're on the... They're on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. They're going to go over to the western side, and they're going to find a town there. And he says, immediately you will find a donkey. Uh, you're talking about the agricultural area there. Uh, how many houses would have had a donkey? Well, they probably all had donkeys. You know, the, the, uh, go find a donkey. Well, every house will have a donkey. But Jesus is a little bit more specific. He says, uh, a donkey tied there with a colt uh, with her. So now this is very specific. It's not just any donkey that they're going to go look for. They're going to look for a tied-up donkey with her colt. And then uh, it says, untie them and bring them to me. Can you imagine how the disciples are feeling at this moment? I mean, doesn't that kind of sound like stealing to you? Doesn't it a little bit? I mean, I, what? <laughs> I saw this conversation going a little bit differently you want me to do what? To go get the donkey and do what? Bring them to you? And, and Jesus must uh, interpret their facial expressions because he, he does this conditional sentence, verse 3, if anyone says anything to you, do you think anyone's going to say Of course they're going to say something to you. There's usually some uh, 
chickens out here that come in and eat our worms up. Can you imagine somebody saying, I, I want you to go and, and get those chickens? And you're like, those aren't my chickens. Uh, like, no, just go get the chickens. And um, it, it, Jesus sees their, their facial expressions. Is somebody going to say something? Of course somebody's going to say something. He says, don't, don't worry about it. Just say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately, he will send them. <laughs> the Lord has need. Which Lord? Can you imagine going up to somebody and the guy with the chickens? The Lord has need of these chickens. What Lord? What are you talking about? Give me my chickens back, right? I mean, that, if you put yourself in these shoes of the disciples, I mean, this is an awkward request from Jesus' part. I mean, what are you supposed to do with this? And you think about um, somebody asking you to go do this, and just the thought process that's going around. Uh, should I do this? Should I not do this? This is rather awkward. This is rather strange. Uh, verse 4 says, Matthew's going to insert an, an explanation here. He's going to add a comment. He says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. So now, this isn't just him wanting to go get a donkey just for getting a donkey but rather that this is uh, something that is going to be in fulfillment of what the prophets have said. Back in the Old Testament, specifically, we're talking about Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Now, in the context of, of Zechariah 9, we have uh, two kingdoms, Tyre and Sidon. Uh, they had established themselves, it said, they had established strongholds in wisdom. They, they were very wise. They developed these forts to be able to protect themselves. And not only had they established these forts with protection, uh, they um, not only did that, but they had a lot of economic wealth. It says that uh, silver was like dust. Can you imagine having so much silver that it's just like dust laying around your house? Uh, this is how rich they were. They had used wisdom to build strongholds to defend themselves. They had used wisdom to acquire silver. They had all the financial prosperity that you could imagine. But God was going to judge them for their sin. And it didn't matter how much strength they had. It didn't matter how much money they had. God was still going to judge them. There was not going to be any type of protection. It wasn't like they were going to insulate themselves from what God was going to do. He's going to wipe them out. Now, Tyre and Sidon are in complete contrast with the Messiah that's presented in, in verse 9. Because as opposed to their strength with their fortresses and opposed to their financial security that they have, here comes this, um, this servant. This says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Gentle, which is also the word for humble, mounted on a donkey. Now why in the world would it be mounted on a donkey? Why a donkey? Well, uh, it's, um, it's a work animal. It, it's an animal used to put burdens on top, to, to do work. Something that's interesting about the donkey is that there's really no way of looking good on a donkey. I mean, just to be honest. There's no elegant way of being on a donkey. They have these kind of shorter type legs, so unless your feet are going to drag, you kind of have to put your legs out a little bit. So as it's walking, they're kind of flapping like this, you know, your legs. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Jesus. It's just there's no elegant way, there's no sophisticated way to ride a donkey. 
I mean, the, the artists try to put Jesus kind of on the side thing like that. But even like that, you got your legs kind of hanging out like this. There's no sophisticated, elegant, manly way of riding a donkey. It's embarrassing. It, it really is. And you see these YouTube videos. I don't know if you've ever Googled YouTube videos of, of people riding donkeys, but it's hilarious. And they all look so silly doing it. See, to ride a donkey, you have to be humble. Not very many people are going to get on a donkey. You go down to the house of uh, Simon Bolivar in Caracas, the guy who liberated most of South America, and they've got a statue out in the front. The guy was a short guy, but the statue of Simon Bolivar on his horse, you would think he's like a, a giant. He's manly, and the horse is up on two legs, and he's, he's there sitting there. You know, that man, you can't get that with a donkey. That image does not come with a donkey. It's humiliating. But that's who Jesus is. He comes humbly. Now, I want to, to look at this, and I, I've got two observations, and I want to have two applications. The first observation is that uh, Jesus needed a donkey. It says there in verse 3, it says, The Lord has need of, of them. And we have to ask ourselves the question, in what sense does Jesus have need of a donkey? I mean, and the, the images that have been being presented here is that Jesus is uh, the, 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 the Son of Man. He, he has dominion over the whole world. Does the guy who has dominion over the whole world, does he not have his own donkey? Or, or a horse, better yet, I mean, a horse that he could just bring? Why does he need to take this guy's donkey? Uh, the other thing is, is they've been presenting him as uh, the son of David. Telling me the king of Israel, no, no one can afford to just lend him a horse so he can look a, at least a little respectful going into the city. In what sense does he need this donkey? And, and the answer to that question uh, really goes uh, also with the fact that he needs his disciples to go and get it. In what sense is he depending on disciples to go get this donkey? I mean, can't... Can he not just ask a, a, an angel ahead of time and say, you know, when I get to this point, I want the donkey right there so I can just get on him? I mean, could he not just tell an angel and the angel kind of have everything lined up for him? In what sense does he need the disciples to go and obey him? In what sense does he have this need for a donkey? In the sense that uh, God in his sovereignty decided to use a donkey for this purpose. Therefore, he is going to fulfill that purpose. God could have chosen a billion different ways. My lack of creativity, uh, I can exhaust the different ways that he could do it. But he has all the opportunity, all the resources to be able to do something, to come in triumphantly into Jerusalem, but he chose this one. And he chose to use disciples to go get it. Now, think about that just for a moment. Uh, that he sent these disciples. Keep it in the back of your head because we're going to eventually get to Matthew 28. It might not be this year, but we'll eventually get to Matthew 28. And when we get to Matthew 28, he's going to tell his disciples to go and make disciples. He's not going to tell angels to go do that job. He's not going to tell rocks or plants to do that job. Somehow he's going to leave his mission on disciples being obedient to him. So just keep that in the back of your mind. We'll eventually get to Matthew 28, and then you'll remember back to 
him sending the disciples. So the first observation is Jesus needed a donkey, and he needs a donkey because in his plan, he's decided to use a donkey. And the same plan is he decided to use individuals like me and you to fulfill his purpose. Now the second observation is, we look at this, uh, what political leader rides a donkey? I mean, really. Can you imagine the United Nations planes flying in? Here comes this one guy on a donkey up New York City on his donkey. Of course, his legs flapping out on the side. Can you imagine how people would look at him? They would think it's a joke. What is this guy showing up at the United Nations with a donkey, and he ties him up there, and he goes inside with his thing to go for his meeting? Everybody would laugh at him. Every news media would just laugh at him. Who, who comes to United Nations on a donkey? But this is, this is Jesus. And it shows that he is humble, and it shows that he's a servant. So those are the two observations. Now, the first application. Being with Jesus requires daily attention. It requires daily attention. And we have to use our imaginations a little bit here. Jesus is descending. He's going from Galilee to Jerusalem. He's going to cross over Jordan. He's going to cross back over Jordan. He's going to go up Jerusalem. And as he's doing this, he's taking several days to make this trip. Each day, you can imagine Jesus wakes up, has his breakfast, starts to walk, gets to a certain point, stops, go to sleep, wake up, do the same thing. Can you imagine if the disciples said, uh, you know, start walking at this hour, I think I'll sleep in. I know a shortcut, I'll just take that shortcut and I'll meet up with him further down the road. Can you imagine that? Or can you imagine that uh, they said, you know, um, I, I kind of like it here, it, it's nice, I, you guys go ahead on, I'm going to have a siesta, and um, instead of crossing Jordan and crossing back over Jordan, I'm just going just to go straight down and, and I'll, I'll meet up with you there at Jerusalem. See, had they not been walking with him daily, uh, they wouldn't be able to hear that, um, that request that he had. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we be with Jesus daily? It requires prayer. I don't mean, you know, where we're just kind of thinking in our head, just kind of talking. You see these people uh, in the grocery stores. Uh, some of them have learned the art of not moving their lips when they're talking to themselves. Others, you know, they're moving their lips as they're walking through talking to themselves. Uh, it's not just that. It, it's actually communicating with God. Uh, not only prayer is important to be have this daily attention with, with Jesus, but uh, reading your Bible. Th this is where God has revealed himself, who he is, what, what he likes, what he dislikes, how he acts. If we don't read God's word, we're not going to be able to do the third thing, which is apply it to our lives. See, it's, it's not just about praying and reading. Because if you pray and you read and you don't apply, James talks about that guy. Remember? The guy who kind of looks in the mirror and then goes away and, and doesn't do anything about it? It, it. The application is where you put that into practice, where you find out from reading God's word about his character and you start practicing that. You find out about how he is holy and you start practicing that. You, should, you find out how he is loving and you start practicing that. that. That's the application part. And until we start doing the application part, we've kind of failed. We're not really spending time with Jesus. We're just reading history. Now, the second application, so being with Jesus requires a daily attention. 
I mean, you, you can't just say, well, I'll, I'll just do it Sundays. Uh, it, it requires a daily. The second application is being with Jesus will enable you to hear him. The reason that the disciples heard Jesus say, go get the donkey, is because they were right beside him. They, they, and I know this is elementary. They weren't up in Galilee, and he kind of said with this loud voice, go get the donkey, you know, and they started running down all the way to, to go get the donkey. Like, they were there with him. So when he spoke, they obeyed. Many times people tell me they don't know what God wants for them. And I usually take that more of an implication that they're not spending time with God than that God's not directing them in their life. I usually take that more of a testimony on them rather than on God. See, it's being with Jesus that you learn to know how to live and how to act day to day. And the question is, how do you act? Are you listening to what he says in his word and putting it into practice? Or is it just a reading exercise that you do? Five minutes here and then you're off to do your other stuff. Now, we saw that um, we needed to, um, Christians show that they're Christ's disciples when they live close to him and obey him. So we saw the part of uh, being with Jesus. And now we're going to look at the aspect of uh, obeying Jesus, obey Jesus, how we're supposed to obey Jesus. So that's our second point. The first one was to be with Jesus. Now this is obey Jesus. And we see in verse 6, it says, The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. Uh, I don't know if you like to underline your Bible, but uh, the conjunction there, just as, is very important. It, it means that when they left, they, they didn't say, okay, we're going to go, and then on the way it's like, um, what do you think about that? I mean, that, that kind of sounds like robbing. You think he wants us to rob? Uh, maybe we should do something else. What, what if we get a wheelbarrow for him? Or they started walking and they started thinking, you know what, um, uh, a don I know he said donkey, I know he said donkey, but I, I got this friend here that has this magnificent horse. Wouldn't he look great on a horse? See, if he came in with a horse, he wouldn't be fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. <laughs> It had to be a donkey. And their responsibility was not to think. It wasn't. It was to obey. Not to come up with nippy little things to do, but just to obey. To put it into practice. That's what they had to do. Now, the result of them putting this into practice is we see that a whole worship service uh, comes out. It, it says there in verse 7, And they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the, on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and were spreading them in the road. Then the crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, which is save us, we pray. Save us uh, to the son of David. They start singing Psalm 118, 25 and 26. As they're going to Jerusalem, they're, they're there at the Mount of Olives, and, and uh, the disciples obeyed Jesus, and the result is you have a whole worship service going on. They start to throw down their coats, and he's walking on. 
the people are cutting down branches and they're waving it and there's just this an excitement that's happening as, as they're going through. There's just this presence of excitement. Now, when you look at this, we need to look at this kind of carefully because we have to distinguish kind of two groups of people here. The first group are these people who are putting their coats down and they're waving the branches. And uh, these guys, uh, we could say, are the cheerleaders. They're just excited about Jesus being there. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in Venezuela, and Venezuela, there's, um, they don't really do cheerleaders uh, there, but um, especially they don't do male cheerleaders. <laughs> and I remember coming home to the States, and uh, we were visiting churches, and we were staying at this one family's home, and... Um, the kid, uh, he said he was a cheerleader on, on the, the team. And uh, that, that confused me quite a bit. I was like, huh, I, does your parents know you're doing that? You know? um, and he said, yeah, you know, I, I just hadn't heard of anything like that. You know, growing up in Venezuela, I, I put the blame on my backwardness, not on anything else there. But you got this one group that are these cheerleaders. They're just excited. You also have the disciples as the other group. There's something different about the disciples because the disciples are also cheering. The disciples are also taking their coats off and putting it uh, available for Jesus. But the disciples are serving. And that's the distinction. See, there's many times individuals who are all about the worship. And they want to have a worship experience. And they want to praise the Lord and they want to do et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then when it comes to serving, they're not showing up. When it comes to obeying, they're not there. You can't find them anywhere. They're out grocery shopping. I don't know what they're doing. They're doing something. But there are those who are excited to worship, and then there's disciples. And the question is, who are you? What's characteristic of your life? How do you live your life? Is it just from one high experience to another? Looking for another high, another moment to be celebrated? Or are you a servant who obeys the Master? Now, as we look at this a little bit closer, uh, I think it's uh, important to maybe have a, a short little test. A, a test to see if maybe we're disciples or not. The disciples are obeying just as Jesus told them. And we see two characteristics that are being presented. The first is that he's gentle or he's humble. And the other is that he's mounted on a donkey, which means he's a servant. So we're going to use those two characteristics. I don't want to use any other characteristics because you're going to think that I'm picking on you and he's always picking on you. So I'm just going to use the two that are found in this text here. Gentle, which is humble, and mounted on a servant uh, on a donkey, so he's a servant. So here's, here's our test. Uh, depending on how you do this test, it will depend on if you get to come back next Sunday or not. Just kidding, just kidding. Uh, the first question. When my child makes a scene in the store, we got a couple different options. The first is, and this is multiple choice, so you'll have to decide what happens here. I worry about what others think of me. Heart starts to palpitate, start looking around. Anybody else noticing this, you know? Something! Your first reaction is you're worried about your image. Two, I really don't care if my kid makes a scene. <laughs> they can cry all the way down and up and down the aisles. I don't care. 
I'm there to go grocery shopping, and they're not going to stop me from doing that. They can cry, they can yell, they can do whatever they want to do. I don't care. I got my agenda, and I'm going to make sure I finish my task. Third, I humbly look to serve my kid. Now, your kid might be, might be being rebellious. And the way you're going to serve that child is by correcting them. So I'm not talking about uh, catering or anything like that. I'm talking about serving them in a God-honoring way. Find out what's going on. How do you react? There the child is making a scene in the store. Your first reaction, I'm worried about what other people are thinking about me. Or, I really just don't care. They can growl all they want to do. Or, 